Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better. This is episode number 86, Thursday, July 23rd, 2020, and today is the day, ladies and gentlemen, where we finally get the return of Major American Sports, opening day of the 2020 Major League Baseball season. We've had golf, we've had some golf with the PGA Tour, and we've also seen the return of Major League Soccer, but today, one of the four major American professional Sports Leagues returns to action when the Nationals square off against the Yankees in Washington, D.C. tonight with Scherzer versus Cole. We've all been waiting for this. We've been waiting for this day for a long time. It's finally here. And soon, within the next week, we will have three of the four major American professional sports leagues underway when the NBA and the NHL continue their seasons that have been paused since early March. We're in for a wild next few weeks, especially with everything going on out there and all the uncertainty with with COVID here in America. And there have also been some important developments on the legal side of things in the world of sports betting. So in this episode of the Doggy Juice Pod, I'm going to dive in uh, to some quick hitters, touching on all of the recent happenings, and then I'll finish off with a look to the start of the 2020 MLB season and uh, some actionable baseball info, including one bet that is still available at Bet Rivers here in Illinois with some very nice market value. All right, let's get right to it. <laughs> Starting off, to follow up on a story that I touched on in the last episode, the Nevada Gaming Control Board officially approved the rescinding and refunding of the past posted bets on Korean baseball games a few weeks ago. For those of you who are unaware, the term past posting originates in horse racing when a a bugler makes a sound to quote-unquote call to post um, right before a race begins, which also means that no more bets can be made after or quote-unquote past the post. So whenever you hear me say you'll find the best value betting on the favorite right at post, I mean right before the game is about to start. So With this recent scandal in Las Vegas, there was a bank of unmanned betting kiosks at the Bellagio that were open a few weeks ago, Um, and some bettors realized that the Korean baseball games that were going on that night were still up way past post, and so they they knew the scores. They they knew what the scores were in the middle of the games, and they could still get bets in, pregame bets on those games. Obviously... Those bets weren't a sure thing because the games hadn't finished yet, but uh, some of these bettors already knew what the scores were after several innings were played in in some of these games, and and the bettors were able to get their bets down. Some of them made some monster parlays, and of course, a bunch of those bets hit. And since then, BetMGM, who was operating the kiosks, they requested the voiding of those bets from Nevada Gaming. And there's a legitimate debate over this and a legitimate argument on either side. It's it's been the cause of much debate the past few weeks. And if you remember, this is actually the same debate, uh, more or less, that came up almost two years ago when FanDuel refused to honor a $110 bet that would have paid more than $82,000 due to a line error. I believe that was uh, involving an NFL game. But there's many issues at play here, and the wording of the gaming laws and regulations within the state where this stuff occurs is the prevailing law that will ultimately govern the issue. But... There aren't just legal concerns here. There's also ethical concerns here, too. Is this unethical by bettors? Is it, does it constitute cheating and theft? 
or is it solely on the book for, you know, they're keeping their lines up? If they're actually offered, then what's preventing someone from betting it? Where do you draw that line? And betting stale lines can be risky for bettors. Um, and, you know, you think that it wouldn't be because betting a stale line, you're obviously getting a way better number than the market's offering, so it should be good, right? But I actually know a lot of professionals that refuse to even bet into stale lines when they see them on the board and will even instead notify their bookmaker about it um, because the, the idea of being that it's valuable as betters to keep a positive relationship with our bookies for our own long-term interests as betters. You want to keep betting at that book. You know, you're know, you already kind of dealing. Once you reach a certain level um, of being good at sports betting, you know, if you're actually doing it very seriously, the issue doesn't become winning and losing bets as much as it is just getting down on those bets. And that's the most you know, the most difficult thing once you reach a certain level is actually just getting down your action. And, you know, as a result, keeping a good relationship with your bookie is of the utmost importance because you want to obviously have, um, instead of like making a big score early on, you'd rather have, you know, that book as an option for you for months and years to come instead of just, you know, giving it all up just to take advantage of them one time. So usually when this stuff occurs... You know, by the letter of the law, the books are at fault, you know, you see it in other casino games. But usually the option is, when bettors get off on books like this, the option is, we'll cash out the ticket for you, but you'll never bet here again. And, if, you know, if the better doesn't want to do that, they can take the refund and stay. But in this instance, you know, with the Bellagio, with these Korean baseball games, there's so much money at play, it was probably never going to be the case where the players were going to you know, give up their bets in order to keep playing. So, you know, the issue went to Nevada Gaming, and 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 it brings up an interesting conundrum. Where do we draw the line here? What where's the distinction? What's the difference between a stale line and taking advantage of an obvious screw up? And you know, contrast that with you know taking advantage of a line that's a little bit off market, but still you know not a quote unquote stale line. And that difference can be a, a huge gray area. And reasonable minds have differed on, on this issue. But Nevada Gaming did rule to void those KBO bets. It's going to end up saving BetMGM over $200,000. But many people don't want BetMGM to escape from this issue scot-free, which it seems like they're going to be here. And you saw a similar scenario with the Phil Ivey Baccarat story from across the pond in the UK with edge sorting. I won't dive into that whole story because... I think I might have even touched on it in a previous podcast, but um, it's a fascinating one, and I, I highly urge you to look it up if you can. Um, I do feel strongly in siding with Phil Ivey in that case, and the real worry here in these ins- instances is it's it, the type of scenario that we saw unfold with the Bellagio and the Korean baseball is it can create a free roll for the sports books. So you know, if you gain an edge in a gray area, and win, and maybe there's not so much of a gray area here with the KBO case, but you know, let's say you do. If you win, then the book can just refuse to pay you, like the London bookies refu- refused to pay Phil Ivey after him and his partner won several million dollars um, with edge sorting and the games they're playing. And if you lose, though, then the books don't have to do anything. Obviously, you lost, so what are they going to do? They're not going to argue. So it creates a free roll for the books in these instances, inst- instances, and and. Uh, you know, in this week's Nevada gaming ruling, it's potentially problematic, but I'm not surprised by it. I think we're going to see similar things in the future, especially with technology at play and, you know, more kiosks popping up uh, across the country as more states legalize. So it's going to be an interesting issue. This is just another, you know, case of it and another instance and another, uh, you know, if, if 
for bo- it's a win for the books. They're going to point to this case as precedent now uh, if this happens again, but I'm not surprised at all by the ruling myself. Things are happening quickly here on the Illinois sports betting scene. We have some new players that have officially been licensed to do business in the land of Lincoln. Last month, when I went on Joe Ostrovsky's uh, show on 670 The Score, he asked me if I expect uh, sports books like DraftKings and FanDuel to be here in Illinois by the start of football season. I said I'd definitely make it the favorite. The stage had been set for them to enter the space here for reasons that I'll explain in a moment. But And sure enough, last Friday, DraftKings and FanDuel both popped up on the Illinois Gaming Board website as having received their temporary operating permits, and they join PointsBet, uh, which is no doubt getting ready to launch as soon as they can at Hawthorne Racecourse. DraftKings, they have a partnership with Casino Queen downstate, and FanDuel will likely be at Fairmount Racetrack. However, those two racetracks that I just mentioned, the Hawthorne and Fairmount, they've yet to receive their license, And but there are there's other approvals and other hoops to jump through even after they do get those licenses before they can actually go live and accept bets, especially you know, mobile bets. But without question, they're acting as fast as they can to get going in time for, for the football season and also with sports about to be coming at us from all angles um, with NBA and NHL and Major League Baseball about to start. Obviously, they want to get going as soon as they can and start taking bets. And it's certainly foreseeable that we see more licenses get granted at the next IGB meeting at the end of the month on, uh, on July 30th. It's actually a week from today. So what's happening in Illinois right now is very, very complicated. I've talked about my disdain for the Illinois sports betting legislation that was passed last year ad nauseum here in the past, so I'm not going to belabor that anymore. You can listen back to another podcast uh, uh, to hear my, my take on the, the law as a whole. But the coronavirus pandemic has completely thrown a wrench in things. As you know, the there was an in-person registration requirement for mobile betting for the first year and a half in the state of Illinois, and this is a highly debated issue before the law was passed. And you, know, you obviously had interests on both sides trying to get their way, and you saw a big media blitz by DraftKings and FanDuel. But basically, this year-and-a-half in-person registration requirement was, was pretty much aimed, more or less, at, at squeezing out FanDuel and DraftKings. And just circling, or going back really quickly, it's important to understand that in-person mobile registration means everything. When you look at, at states like New Jersey and Indiana, they're seeing, even before the pandemic hit, they're seeing 85, even 90% of their of their state handle in sports betting was, was via mobile and online. But those states didn't have any restrictions in terms of you know, registering in person. You could just register from, from the comfort of your couch for the betting apps and just get to betting and, and fund the apps from the comfort of your couch. And on the flip side, you see states, you know, like like Iowa that have an in-person requirement until January first of this of next year. Um, they're struggling more, and, and they're mobile betting. They offer it, but you have to register in person. And that restriction, I, I totally disagree with Illinois putting that in, in their law. But it was, it, you can understand the reasoning behind it because of FanDuel and DraftKings. And the argument was that FanDuel and DraftKings, since they had been operating in Illinois since 2015 with daily fantasy sports, at odds with uh, former Attorney General Madigan's opinion that that they were operating illegally, um, they had gained a a customer base as a result. Tons of customers from DFS that they could just switch on, and you're seeing it right now with FanDuel and DraftKings. Uh, FanDuel, uh, they put $10 in 
in all FanDuel accounts and stuff. And you know, this is aimed at driving sports book activity, obviously, with, with sports coming back. But the argument was FanDuel and DraftKings had such a competitive disadvantage that when sports betting launched, if it launched without that restriction on in-person registration, then they would immediately get about 85 to 90% of the market share in sports betting. And obviously established brands in Illinois, like Rivers Casino, they obviously did not want that. So they fought heavily and they got their way with that year and a half. Fast forward to this year, the coronavirus pandemic and Governor Pritzker released an executive order that I've talked about on the podcast uh, back in June, opening the door for mobile betting because obviously with coronavirus, nobody can go into a casino uh, due to the you know the phase the phase that Illinois was in with the COVID pandemic, nobody can go in to register. So there's no state revenue. So something's got to be done. So Pritzker ended up with the executive order uh, saying that he lifted the restriction on in-person registration, meaning people can register from the comfort of their couches. Um, and the term for this executive order leaves a lot of gray area. It's it's quote unquote during the duration of the gubernatorial disaster proclamation or until the IGB issues a competitively bid master sports wagering license, a.k.a. we do not know how long this executive order is going to be in effect. But on top of that, we also had, right before that was released, um, a new rule um, involving co-branding. And without getting into the actual legal nitty-gritty here, and I'm, I'm more than happy to explain this, you know, the legalese more in depth if you want to reach out to me personally, but more or less what Basically, the law before this happened was was sportsbook brands have to put their brand on the app. So you couldn't have a situation where you know a casino downstate can partner with DraftKings and put DraftKings logo on their betting app um, when, when taking bets. But now this new co-branding rule allows for DraftKings to be on the app. Their low, you know, all of the branding to be on along with the casino's branding. So the co-branding opened up the door now, along with the lifting of the, the, the in-person registration requirement for these other companies like DraftKings, FanDuel, who are going to have to wait that year and a half uh, to get an online-only license. Now they can look to enter the space. And sure enough, that's what's happening right now, and we're seeing a legal challenge to this by Bet Rivers' attorneys on the co-branding issue because that's literally everything. And the, the irony, though, is that Bet Rivers is standing to win the most right now early on because they have a monopoly on, on the online market right now. Bet Rivers is the only place where you can bet on your phone on, on sports here in Illinois right now. So it's interesting because they're fighting the co-branding issue for obvious reasons, but in terms of the in-person registration requirement, Bet Rivers is actually uh, they're benefiting the most right now. They're the only game in town. So here is your doggy juice takeaway from all of this. When these books launched their online apps, you should sign up for these and as soon as you can and get your funds in them as soon as you can because once you're in you're locked in there, but there may come a time in the not too distant future where that restriction on the in-person registration requirement is lifted and you have to go do it again in person and i i don't know about you but if you're living in chicago i highly doubt you want to drive all the way down to east st louis to register for DraftKings at casino queen so it's something to keep in mind, but my advice to you is to register for these apps and get them funded and just get to betting as soon as you can, as soon as they launch, and to take full advantage of their bonus offers as well. According to research from the American Gaming Association, average spending with illegal black market local bookies fell 25% last year. But interestingly, 
offshore sports books like Bovada, Bet Online, Five Dimes, just to name a few, saw a 3% increase in betting in states that offered legal sports betting. So all this is states that offer legal betting. Uh, 25% drop in local bookies, or local bookie activity, and 3% increase in offshore betting. And the American Gaming Association surveyed 3,451 American adults for this. And my takeaway from hearing this, and you know the AGA's takeaway as well, is that there's clearly, maybe not so clearly, but there's confusion among consumers of what is legal and what isn't legal. And the AGA has that same worry, and they're calling for educational programs to help bettors understand what is legal and what is not. Just because sports betting was legalized in your state doesn't mean that you can just go on any website to bet. You have to do so legally um, through a licensed, regulated operator. And I feel like a lot of people don't understand that, and that distinction really, really needs to be made, especially after seeing Major League Baseball this week partner with Bet Chris, their uh, offshore operator, and, and MLB is doing so. Obviously, they're granting the use of their logos and trademarks to Bet Chris. They're trying to engage their Latin American fans, but Bet Chris, where you actually can't bet in America, um, Bet Chris is a massive offshore website, and they have their eyes on the American space, which is why I think you know they've been operating in accordance with, with American laws since 2007, but um, they have an eye towards that space. But it's important, I think, for Major League Baseball to tell their fans that, hey, listen, we partner with Bet Chris, but you can't legally bet there if you're in America where these games are taking place. You can do it in Latin America, but not America. So there's got to be education on this, and I think that AGA poll definitely demonstrated that. <laughs> Yesterday, there was a congressional hearing on college sports, largely involving issues related to college athletes' use of their own name, image, and likeness. And sports betting came up. I still have yet to watch the hearing uh, testimony, but according to ESPN's David Purdom, a repeated argument by sports betting opponents focuses on prop bets. And the University of Pittsburgh's athletic director director is seeking to, pro- to prohibit wagering on all NCAA sports, and he made some absolutely cringeworthy statements yesterday. First of all, these bets on college sports are going on regardless if they're legal or not. And that's the first thing that people have to understand, especially at offshore websites, local bookies. People aren't just going to stop betting on college games just because it's not legal by them. And making them legal, I've been saying this on the Doggy Juice Pot since day one, making them legal and regulated and therefore above board allows operators and integrity providers, the NCAA, the leagues, everybody involved, to monitor irregular betting patterns instead of keeping it all in the dark. That's very important. And there's just been a gross misunderstanding of just what exactly goes on, but also the limits in some of these markets as, as well, like these prop markets. You saw it with Al Leiter, the professional, uh, former professional baseball player. He had testimony shortly after PASPA was repealed just over two years ago. And he claimed, Al Leiter, that, that someone could just go, he, he worried that, you know, before a game started, someone can go throw $100,000 on whether or not the first pitch would be a ball or a strike, something that didn't matter at all for the final score of the game. Or very, you know, didn't, it was not material at all to the final result of the game. Didn't mean anything really to anybody, but he was worried a better can go get $100,000 in on whether or not the first pitch would be a ball or a strike and then go to another sports book and, and bet a hundred grand on it and, and go all around the U.S. and going from shop to shop and popping that prop with $100,000. And before you know it, there's millions of dollars on that prop. But what Al clearly had his head in the sand about 
is the fact that the limits for these props are often not more than like $250 to $500, if that. You rarely see a dime offered on those types of bets at any book. So the notion that you can get down anywhere close to $100,000 is a complete fallacy. And on top of that, sportsbooks talk. The information's out there, the lines move accordingly. So in reality, in Al's scenario, the better could maybe get down $1,000 before some red flags pop up. And that's the type of shit that just drives me crazy, this lack of understanding and just this this you know, this scared um, way of thinking that I think brought PASPA along in the first place back in the early 90s. So the Pittsburgh AD is clearly out to lunch. Unfortunately, it is uninformed people in high-power positions that are threatening a flourishing, responsible sports betting ecosystem from being a reality here in the United States. I still think that day is going to come someday, but it's people like that that are that are holding it back. And I, I'll likely have more on this in some future episodes soon as I dig more into these legal developments on a national level, but it's definitely something to monitor because, unfortunately, some very uninformed people are standing to, you know, to, to I don't know, to threaten our, our very way of, of, of life here as bettors and as people who enjoy the sports betting industry and, and uh, want to see it done in a responsible way and, and uh, realize that it's happening either way. So might as well do it responsibly and get it above board here in America and, and, uh, and have the American taxpayers benefit as a result too. <laughs> Speaking of college sports, college football is supposed to be starting back up in just over a month's time. But unfortunately, there's a very small chance the season does start on time at this point. The Big Ten announced that teams will only be playing conference games this year, so we're already seeing you know, non-conference games get the axe. But if we do see football this fall, I think we'll almost certainly be seeing non-conference, uh, or not seeing any non-conference, sorry, at all in any of the uh, the schedules. So, But it's actually looking like we could be seeing a spring season, potentially, something that we've never seen before. But and as a result, you know, for me as a better, usually I'm, I'm full scale in my college football prep by this point. I've already done a lot of it by, you know, mid to late July. But unfortunately this year, I just haven't been doing the same prep work in college. I have been in the NFL, but not as much. But for college, it's just so hard to, to put the work in knowing that there's a significantly smaller chance than 50% that uh, what I'm preparing for is, is not going to even occur. You know, the games I... I'm not doubting that the games that games will be played at some point this year, but you know it's looking like spring could be more likely at this point. And I'm urging all of you out there to read the language on your bets. Any futures bets you made, you should read language on when they'll be graded. You know, in case the games are played in the spring, and also you know if you know, week one has to be by a certain date, make sure that you read that before you're making any bets on college football. Even though couch sports this fall does not look promising, we do have the return of three of the four major American sports over the next 10 days. Interestingly, all three of them are unique in how they're going about their business during this pandemic. Um, MLB is starting its season entirely from scratch as being played in normal ballparks in America. Obviously, we have the issue with the Toronto Blue Jays, who um, they (laughs) were not allowed to play in Canada, and then they were turned away by, uh, by Pittsburgh via the state of Pennsylvania. So now they're in flux where they're going to play. But the games are taking place in America. The NBA is finishing up some regular season games before starting the playoffs, and that's taking place at, in the NBA bubble at Disney in Florida. And as for the NHL, the season is returning with an expanded playoff tournament and is being played exclusively in Canada 
in two hub cities. The Western Conference teams are in Edmonton, and the Eastern Conference teams are in Toronto, and the Stanley Cup Finals are set to take place in Edmonton uh, once it's all said and done. So the NBA is set to make its triumphant return from the NBA bubble a week from today. There have been some encouraging signs from recent COVID testing within the bubble, so by all signs, we're rearing to go with NBA action around the clock starting in a week. And here are the consensus odds to lift the Larry O'Brien trophy. The Lakers are the favorites right now, plus 240 odds. The Bucks are sitting at plus 280, and the Clippers at plus 320. Obviously, you could shop around and see varying numbers, but that seems to be about the market consensus right now. The big three are still favored. Just like I said, interestingly enough, the odds have largely gone unchanged since March. Uh, just a few weeks ago on the pod, I gave out the Celtics at 20 to 1 as a value play. I still think they're good at anything over 16 to 1 for reasons I stated in that podcast. Uh, but in terms of you know the actual games themselves, all these players are used to AAU, summer leagues, and all that stuff. You know, they've all done that in their past. So they're very familiar with this type of setup, uh, the setup that they're in right now. And in terms of the actual gameplay itself, it's you know, it's not it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that we're likely gonna see uh, tough time finishing shots that have a hard time falling early on. You know, like those tough shots, um, you know, in the paint, those finishing moves and stuff. It's going to be hard to see those tough floaters to fall with more consistency. You know, lack of reps doing this type of stuff in game and like a game type of setting. And it's also though on the flip side, it's important to remember though that the players are not worn out right now. They're not feeling as worn out as they are at this time of the season, you know, the regular season where we're picking up. And also, there's no travel for any of these games. So it's just better for recovery for the players. So it's going to be fascinating to watch early on. For me, I'm going to be looking to fade uh, teams the moment, obviously, that they have nothing to play for, especially the Nets and the Wizards once they're eliminated. They just At that point, they're just going to be looking forward to going home. Obviously, the Lions will reflect that. So if you can get on top of it early, though, Potentially, you might be able to find some value there, but really look at motivation and teams. You know that realistically, what do they have to play for? Why should they be there? And you know, once the motivation is not there, if they're going up against a team that has everything to play for, you'll see it reflected in the betting market, no doubt. But it's good to pay attention to, especially if you can find some some early opportunities and hop on it before the market does. So uh, that's going to do it for the quick hitters. Let's finish up this week's episode with a look at some actionable baseball info. So I'm pretty upset. Back in 2003, I was just a young lad in high school. Uh, One of my friends more or less dared two of my buddies and I to ditch school and go to Wrigley for the home opener against the Pirates. There was a little bit of shit talking going on. Basically said, are we going to do it? And he called us out and and said he'd give us money. I don't even know if he ever paid us. But but we went. We went to the game. And I got grounded for two weeks afterwards. But it was like one of the best days of my life. That was the Bartman year, 2003. And since that year, I have been to every single Cubs home opener with the exception uh, being 2008 when I was living in Italy. But... I won't be able to do so tomorrow night when the Cubs host the Brewers as minus-120 favorites to kick off their shortened season. I still might try to walk by Wrigley when it's going on so I can like more or less somewhat be there, maybe try and peek in through that opening, but I bet they'll be closing that off. I don't know, but uh, it's nothing like normal times, obviously, today. Uh, but it's the other team in Chicago that's garnering the public's attention entering the season. According to Dave Sharapam, 
the odds maker over at uh, CG Tech, this is the first time that he has ever seen the White Sox lead ticket counts in the World Series futures market. They have more tickets than the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Cubs. And it's just nuts. And the, the Sox are getting tons of preseason love right now. They're the talk of the town, that's for sure, right now. So it's just interesting entering the season, obviously, with uh, with a lot of optimism on, on both sides of town here in Chicago. But a glance at the futures odds also shows two very short shots, one in the American League and one in the National League, and those are the Dodgers and the Yankees. Both of those are around 4-1 to one to win it all. The Dodgers and the Yankees are the class of the league. I mean, historically, this is a big historical combo of favorites, actually, honestly, to start the season. Both these teams are stacked. The future odds and the season win totals reflect it. So with 60 games on deck and uh, over the next 66 days, I've touched on this in recent podcasts, Obviously, we're going to see some wild variance with less games, but the most important thing to remember is information is going to be everything right now in the age of COVID. It's it's going to open up opportunities for us as betters, but it's also going to create some very dangerous scenarios where we have to tread very carefully, especially when betting props, betting overs too, and, and player props. And we've already seen a perfect example of this literally like right now today without even one game being played yet. Um, news is dropping right now as I'm recording this that the Nationals, Juan Soto, tested positive for COVID. He's not going to play this evening. So that's a perfect example of this stuff. The people that are first to that information can make a lot of money. And obviously a lot of tickets are going to say the player must play for action. So it's not going to matter, but it does matter for for um, for other bets, for other wagers. And it certainly matters for for the spread. It's you know less so for baseball. You know When you have a player like Juan Soto sit out, it's not going to move the line like you know in, in basketball. Where uh, obviously, like a, you know, a guy like LeBron misses, the line moves eight points immediately. Uh, so people that are privy to this information and have it beforehand can absolutely gain an edge. So it's really a race for news and information more than anything else right now, uh, especially with the start of baseball. So make sure you read that fine print on those tickets. But over the past few weeks, there have been some very nice opportunities to arbitrage uh, MLB season win totals. Just with so many books out there now hanging different numbers at different juice. There are plenty of chances to get some nice positioning before first pitch tonight. Like a one to two game middle in baseball is huge in a normal 162 game season, but it's magnified big time in a 60 game schedule. So you can get a team, you know, under 32, but over 29 and a half, something like that. You know, it's that's just beautiful. There's nothing better than getting to the end of the season and just just rooting for numbers to fall with a lot less risk, you know, maybe almost zero risk if you want it to be that way sometimes. So um, one of those scenarios is at play here in Illinois. Uh, Bet Rivers in Illinois is still offering the Red Sox under 30 and a half. And the Red Sox season win total did open a consensus 31 and a half. But Bet Rivers is offering the Red Sox at under 30 and a half at minus 106 as of this morning. I was able to get it at even money a couple days ago and popped it a few times, but it's at minus 106 as of today. Shout out to Jimbo, a.k.a. Better Call Saul, who I brought on the podcast uh, earlier this year. That's B-E-T-T-O-R, Call Saul. Uh, he brought the fact, uh, he brought to the to my attention that their rotation is more of a mess than I even thought it was, and I dove into it even more. And, and when you see Chain Bloom himself calling it unsettling, that's a pretty good sign, you know, that... Uh, that your notion is correct, and and uh, it's just going to be interesting with the Red Sox with that mess of a rotation, and they're in, obviously a division with the Yankees, and yeah, the Orioles are the Orioles, but 
they have to play the Yankees and the Rays, who should steal some games from them as well. But the most important thing about the under 30.5 at minus 106 at Bet Rivers is right now you can find 29.5 at minus 110 as the going rate at a lot of shops. I know um, the Westgate was offering that in Las Vegas, and I've seen it at some other places, uh, 29.5 on the Red Sox season win total. So literally locking in under 30.5 at minus 106 and over 29.5 at minus 110. I mean, you know what that means. <laughs> it's very little risk, and if that lands on 30, you, you scoop up both bets. So it was obviously better when uh, it was 31.5, and those people that were able to get in on under 31.5 and over 29 and a half have a two-game middle on the Red Sox. So that's the kind of stuff you really got to look to do because, as we know, sports betting, it's not about betting teams. It's about betting numbers. That's how you win the game. And right now, shopping around and and having as many outs as you can and shopping and finding the best price for the teams you're trying to bet on is absolutely key. But also, there's opportunities out there to arbitrage teams' season win totals. And in a two-month season, it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean, obviously, you're hoping that they actually complete all the games, and that's far from a given but you can put yourself in a great position to make some money if you're uh if you're not only getting the best price but also maybe even looking to arbitrage someplace all right that's gonna do it for this episode of the doggy juice pod follow me on twitter and instagram at doggy juice and be sure to check out bet chicago and bet indiana news on the reg for betting info and sports betting industry news next week i'm planning to do a deep dive on my NFL buy and sell teams as I continue doing my NFL preseason prep work. I'll also dive into the start of the NBA season, maybe even look at some NHL and and other developments going on in the world of sports betting. All right, everyone take care. I'll talk to you all next week and good luck with your bets. Doggy Juice out.